pretty quiet, right? Yeah, there it is. Hey, good morning, everybody. So what's the verdict, Bill? When's the tree come out? Respect the turkey. I'm in that camp. I'm sorry. Yeah. Come on, they gave their lives for us, you know? It's a very dry bird, but still. Yeah. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Dominic, one of the pastors here. If we haven't met, nice to meet you. Uh, as we continue in our series of James, before we do that, we honored uh, veterans this weekend, and so I just want to take a moment for those men and women who are currently serving or who have served, I want to invite you to stand if you're willing. We want to thank you, and we want to pray for you this morning. Yeah. As a kid who came from a grandpa who was in the Navy who settled his family in San Diego, we, we thank you and we appreciate the service and the sacrifices that you've made and your families have made so that we could do what we're doing here this morning. Worship, study God's word with freedom, unhindered by that. And so we're very thankful for that. So would you as a church pray with me this morning as we honor those men and women this morning? Well, Lord, we're grateful for you this morning. We're grateful for the laughter and the chatter and at a time to come together. And, and uh, we recognize, Lord, just as we, as a country, celebrate those currently serving or who have served to uh, protect and fight for freedoms and uh, secure borders and give us the liberties and freedoms that we have as a country. God, we're, we're thankful for them. Uh, it doesn't go unnoticed of the the wives that are with kids on their own for seasons at a time so their men can be on the ground or in boats or, or the women that leave families so they can do the same. And so, God, we just honor them. We just ask that you would bless them and protect them and remind them um, of your goodness. For those that don't know you, God, that they would come to know you. It can be a dark place and space sometimes, and I just pray that you'd bring light in those places as we think of Miramar or Coronado or all the other places in the county that um, there's military men and women serving. God, would you comfort them this morning? Would you let them know that you're a God that's good? And uh, we again thank you for freedom uh, to do what we do now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, would you turn to the book of James? We're continuing in our James series. We're in James chapter 5. If you have a Bible or on your phone, you can turn to that. But I apologize, three weeks ago, I gave a challenge to read Proverbs. Has anybody kept with that? Today is Proverbs 21. All right, good. Uh, I told you you could grab me on the plaza, and then I went away on vacation for two weeks, so I'm really sorry. <laughs> but I've kept with it. It's been fun. I've been trying to engage my son in it and texting. What are you learning? What are you reading? What are you processing? So I encourage you, 10 more days, keep going. If you're new to the church and you're just hearing this for the first time, it's not too late. Start on Proverbs 21 today, and all we're doing is asking God to give us wisdom, because he said he would. So we're going to start with the book of Proverbs together. So keep going. If you forgot and you're on chapter 8, you know, it's kind of cold outside. Get a coffee and catch up, okay? Uh, okay, James chapter 5, just a context of what we've been going through. James is writing this book to a group of believers who have been dispersed. They they have committed their lives to Christ. They believed in the gospel message. They believed in Jesus as the finished work, as the sacrifice, as the coming Messiah that they had awaited for. And now they've dispersed for persecution and fear and retribution, and they're scattered. And James is writing this letter 
to remind them that God is with them and he's for them and that they can count these sufferings joy and they can persevere and endure and and keep the faith and, and keep remembering the good news of the gospel. And at the same time, he's saying, whatever is happening inwardly as Jesus has transformed you as the kingdom that is now that you have become sons and daughters of the most high and you're part of this new humanity and this new kingdom, this is how you should live. The inward should be matching. The inward's informing the outward. It's, it's a worthless religion to just have this internal thing. It has to be expressed outward so that others might see and know and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And so each week we've been looking at different parts of what some uh, commentators call like pearls of wisdom that James gives. And in the first chapter, he basically summarizes what the last four chapters are going to be. And so you're going to hear a lot of language, if you've been with us, that's happening in chapter 5 that happened in the the previous chapters. Again, this is a letter that at one point was going to be read. It usually was a letter that came to a village. People would come and gather around a table, usually a rabbi or, or somebody like that. They'd share a meal, and they'd read a letter. They didn't go, what does verse 2 say? Okay, come back next week. They just said, what does James say? And they'd read it in one sitting and go, oh, that's good. Ooh, that one's done. Ooh, chapter 5, this one's going to really sting. But it's for the good. It's a reminder of to keep going, to persevere, that God's worth it. Stay in there. And so chapter 5, I'll read it, and then I'll give us context for where we're at. But the first verse, everyone can go, ooh, with me a little bit, okay? Now listen, you rich people. You know, it's a political season. It's, uh, you know, now we're talking religion, and why not talk about finances? Here we go. You rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Can everybody go, ooh, That's verse one. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like a fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvester have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Do not grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we considered blessed those who persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and seen that the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of the Lord. In studying this passage, I realized why Ryan went on vacation. (laughs) Said, good luck with that. But it's actually, I love teaching this message. And I've taught similar messages over the years, and I've taught it to myself, and it's a convicting message. 
And so I, I'm one here that is, has the microphone and lights pointed at me, but I'm one who's humbled by this message this morning. And one who's encouraged by what James has to say. There's wonderful reminders. And what we're going to look at is there's four indictments that James says, and there's three that I see, maybe more, calls of remembrance for us as a church this morning. James starts chapter 5 by, he's speaking to believers this whole time, but he shifts his language away from the believer. So the fire and condemnation, he gives six verses that really give no out for anybody. But he's shifting his attention, not saying, like, if you're rich, you're done. He's actually contextually speaking to a first century Palestine where there's this new thing that's happening, that there's these landowners who, it's a small minority of people who are gaining large amounts of excess of land. And they're taking land from these farmers that are smaller farmers who are being incorporated into this larger corporation run by a small minority of people. And because of that, people who were self-sustaining at one point are now living hand-to-mouth. And they're crying out. And, and James is writing this because he goes, I know you all know this. I hear a piano. Does anybody else hear that piano? I thought Richard was playing still. It was lovely. So they're crying out, and James turns his attention. In chapter 4, he ends with brothers, brothers, brothers. Now for six verses, he takes brother or faith language out altogether, and he's simply condemning for twofold purposes. Maybe you had a teacher or as a kid or as a parent now, uh, a brother or a sibling got in trouble, and then the family got all sat down together. And was like, you know what it's like to live in this family. We don't do that in this household. And the one who didn't do anything is going like, boring, this is not for me. Or the teacher, somebody's broken the rules, so I'm talking to all 30 in the class. James is doing that in this moment. He's saying, this is not about you, believer, for the moment, although there's good truth for you to understand in this. But I'm calling out injustices that are happening to remind you of the heart of God. So lean in and don't tune out for these next six verses. But it's not about salvation. Jesus would never talk about you can't be rich and be saved. Not one passage in Scripture ever condemns wealth or saving. Not once. What is condemned is what the wealth does to the person. Does it become the object of your affection? Tim Keller would say, a good thing that becomes a God thing becomes an idol. Does it become an idol in your life? Is it the chief affection that you, you long for? Every morning you're looking at your spreadsheet and your stock portfolio, and that's where your affection is. And oh yeah, I was supposed to read Proverbs, but I know the NASDAQ this morning. He also condemns what you do when you have wealth. How did you get it? Did you do it dishonestly? Did you rob? Did you steal? Did you kill? There's no class system except for upper and lower in there. There's no middle class in this society. It's the haves and the have-nots. So did you do it dishonestly? Was it your chief affection and attention? And are you generous or are you hoarding for yourself? That's what scripture, scripture condemns. Jesus talks about money more than any other thing in all the teachings that he has. Because he comes to this profound statement that says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the point is, I want your heart. 
The point is I want you as my kids to be in the kingdom and as kids of the kingdom to live in a way that I've lived and modeled and set for you. There's good in it. So that's what James does in this moment. And while he's talking to first century Palestine, 60 AD, maybe 40 AD, there's truth for us and there's conviction for us this morning. Over the years as I've studied passages like this and studied scripture and allow it to study my life, is I've come to the realization that an adjective that I would never have used to describe about myself is true of me today. And it's this, I am rich. I am rich. And some of you are like, you're a pastor. Yeah, right. I was a teacher before that, so you're like, oh, you really were poor then, so. Maybe you've had the experience that I had this morning. You opened a closet, or for me, I walk in closet. It's not huge. Some, you know, some closets are bigger than others. But I walk into a closet with an endless row of shirts and t-shirts and different pants and different colors and styles with many different shoes to choose from, pants and shorts. And I said, man, I have nothing to wear. I somehow came up with this. Then I went downstairs and then I went into my refrigerator and there was food. And I went to the pantry and I explored there and there was more food. And I went to the counter and there was fruit baskets and of all kinds, and I said, there's nothing to eat. Guess we're going out this morning. I'm rich. Just by living in America this morning, you're just being here, our poverty line in the United States is for a single person is 12, roughly $12,000 a year, and for a family of four is $25,000 a year. That's what's considered poverty here in the United States. Just if you made that, which is about $13 an hour, 20 hours a week, if you made that for the single individual. I know I'm hearing a piano now. Go ahead and answer if you have a piano going on, anybody. Yeah, it's good. Poverty level, you're richer than 80% of the world. Just by being in the United States this morning, you're richer than 80% of the population. I'm richer than 80% of the population. And now we go, well, San Diego, and you've seen the rates, and you've seen how expensive it is, and the mortgages are insane. I'm not discounting that. I'm trying to buy butter just like you. I'm putting in the same $6 gallon gas that you are. The average income in San Diego, $88,000, with the largest average being about $55,000. That still puts you at the richest 5% of the planet this morning. There was a recent survey done by the U.S. Census Bureau that said, what does it mean to be rich in different states? And they selected about 20 of the top most expensive states. In San Diego County, if you're a family of four and a household income, if you make $157,000 a year as a family, you are the richest 20% of San Diego County. Some of you hear that number and go, I wish I made $157,000. And some of you go, how in the world can you live with $157,000? The point is, You've now become the richest 2% in the population of the planet and the richest 20% in San Diego County, if you make that much. The average income in Encinitas, now it gets a little bit more real. The average household income is $172,000. So not only are you well above 
the richest 20% in San Diego County. You are the top 1% of income in the world. Simply put, if you had running water, access to medicine, clean clothes, food, and shelter right now, you are rich. Welcome to the club. I just came back from vacation, and you've had this experience maybe. You pack all these clothes, and you put them in a bag, and you go away, and the realization of, if I lost this bag or if the airline lost my baggage, I still have more clothes at home. That wasn't my sum total possessions in a bag. For me, it wasn't. I'm rich. And so the point is this. Welcome to the club. Two, lean in a little bit further when he talks about rich people. Never is it a sin. Never he does he condemn you. He has millions and millions of things to say about what to do with money and the blessing of that. To further that point, you see all throughout Scripture, there are rich people. Abraham, rich. David, rich. Solomon, super rich. Philemon, rich. Joseph of Arimathea gave up a tomb so Jesus could be rich. Lydia, fine garments and acts, rich. Never condemned. God uses those people. So now let's lean in. Are you convicted enough? Are you welcome to the club enough? You can start calling yourself rich. It's insane, but it's true. So now, you rich people, four indictments for the listeners so they can be reminded of who God is and to learn if wealth ever were to come in our lives, what do we do with it? Weep and wail. Literally cry out to your gods, not cry out to me, but go ahead and cry out to your God in, in, in asking for supplication. Please come and rescue, save me. The misery that is coming upon you. That's an interesting phrase. It's literally, it's the future tense, but it's also happening now. There's misery in you having this wealth right now. It's coming upon you. James is constantly thinking about the Lord is near. And they thought, just like maybe every generation thought, the Lord is a little bit closer to coming back. Just like the pandemic, we all thought it was going to be two weeks. Then it was a month. The least like optimistic person in your life said it's going to be September of 2020. And then we woke up and it had been two and a half years. The Lord is coming. When? We don't know. So misery is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. The moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat flesh like fire. The first indictment, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. The word hoarded, has anybody ever seen the show Hoarders before? Raise your hand. Hoarders? Yeah, you all know what I'm talking about? It's this, it's this obsession with stuff. It's not just that you have things and, okay, Dom, cute illustration about multiple shirts. It's that it's, you're obsessed with it. You, you fantasize about it. You can't get enough of it. You're constantly needing more. And more is not giving you more security, so you go more, more, more. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. James alludes to what's similar that Jesus talks about. He talks about a parable in, in Luke 12 the rich fool. And in that moment, Jesus is teaching a parable. There's two brothers disputing over an inheritance. 
And instead of settling the dispute, he teaches a lesson right there. He says, there's a rich man, and he gets all this stuff, and he thinks to himself, now what do I do with all this stuff? And instead of Mosaic law, which would have said, like, you give as you have, he says, I will build a barn and store this up for myself. And when it's all done and sealed up, I will sit and say, eat, drink, and be merry. So you've done a good job. The language in that parable is interesting because it's a confused mind talking to a confused mind. The internal dialogue is confused. It's the point is Jesus is saying, that's not kingdom living. That's not what Mosaic law is. I'm here to clarify that. The confused mind talks to the confused mind and says, this is a good idea. Don't give any of it away. Keep it for myself. Eat, drink, and be merry. That could have been a slogan written by a marketer today. Amen? Doesn't that sound like retirement, what we all want? We want to eat, drink, and be merry with full barns? And he's saying, you've hoarded. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God is that you give, and you give lavishly. So what happens to the fool? That very day, I'll take your life, is what the Lord says. What a waste. Contrast that. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where a similar language or where moths will eat and destroy and things will corrode. Instead, store up treasure in heaven. Set your sights on the kingdom that is to come, not the kingdom that you can build here for yourself. First indictment, you've hoarded. Second, verse 4. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed their fields are crying out against you. The, harvest, the cry of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. Literally, the one who commands angel armies. He's taken notice. Uh-oh. Second indictment, you have hoarded, or sorry, second indictment is you failed to pay. You've, you've been fraudulent, some translations would say. In Deuteronomy, you can write this later, but I'll read it to you. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15. James is literally taking a playbook out of Mosaic Law, and he says this. Do not take advantage of the hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before the sunset, because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Again, these landowners have now lost their ability to self-sustain, and now they're in this larger corporation of these greedy, small minority of people who are hoarding for themselves and are being fraudulent and not giving the wages that they need. As they're living hand-to-mouth, they're literally like, I can't feed my family if I don't get this money at the end of the day. And you promised a wage at the end of the day, and now you're fraudulent and deceiving. Now you're not paying me and you're keeping it for yourself where you have enough in excess and I have nothing. I literally don't know how to go and feed my family at the end of this. And we're crying out to the Lord of angel armies, please come and save us. And the Lord is taking notice. Rich, you've dishonestly gained wealth. You've hoarded for yourself indictment too. You've been fraudulent. You've kept for yourself. That is not the heart of God. The heart of God is he's one that gave freely and costly and lavishly and sacrificially. That's the rules of the kingdom living. Three, verse five, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. It's the same word that's used to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. 
who is hoarding and selfish and thinking of themselves and not giving need and attention to the poor and the needy. It's exactly the opposite of what James was talking about in chapter one where he says, you want true religion? You want to be a doer of the word? True religion looks like this, that you care for the widow and the orphan, that you go after the needy and the poor, and at all costs, you demonstrate my heart to them because that's my heart for them. Instead, you've been selfish and living in indulgence. Where we get our word like hedonism from. You find great joy and just pleasure in satisfying self. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. Like a fattened cow who's just eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and eating and consuming and consuming and no giving attention to, are there other cows that need space? I'm just eating and eating and gaining for myself. And James is saying, like, the Lord is coming and all you're doing is getting fattened up in the day of slaughter. It's not the way to live, people of God. That's not what Reese's were for. It's not about self-indulgence. It's about building the kingdom and partnering with the king and giving and being sacrificial. Last indictment, verse 6. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. So the Lord of Almighty, in the verse prior to that, who is now getting angel armies ready to respond to these cries, contrasted with the righteous or the innocent man who's done nothing, literally means he hasn't gathered an army against you. When they've been wrong and you haven't paid their wages and they're sitting at home and looking at their wives and going, I don't know how to feed the kids tonight. What if we got a bunch of us together and started an uprising? Instead, they're sitting there going, Lord, you're going to provide. Lord, you said you would be with us and for us and near us and our provision and our bread and our... And the, the, the wealthy are saying, sorry, buddy, condemning and literally murder. We don't know how they're murdering, but we know that Timothy writes, or Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, he says that it's the love of money that causes all kinds of evil. It's not money, it's the love of it. It's the obsession of it. It's the constant putting your heart's affection on it. It can come to even murder. Children are dying because they're hungry. Men don't know how to provide for their family because of dishonest wages and self-indulgence and now condemned to murder. Can we take a breath for a second? Whew. Heavy, yeah? Convicting, yeah, because now I look at my own life and go, where have my thoughts been with my bank account? My check, and, or my heart's affections there? And, and do I find myself hoarding? You, know, you ever done a garage sale? Like, I'm begging you to take this stuff that I once needed out of my house. That air fryer that I thought I needed is now in the garage, and would you just give me two bucks to get it out of here? Oh, this couch that we so badly needed. We're like, does the youth need another couch? It's a checklist to say, not salvific. We're kids of the king for those in Christ this morning. You're loved and accepted. That's not the way he's designed us to live. The resources that he gives us are a gift, whatever our number is. That's not the point. There's a young man here who uh, I was the college and young adult pastor, 
uh, back in 2008 here. And a guy named Johnny Lau, many of you know him, he became uh, one of my students. And we would hang out together and serve together, and we'd go to Encinitas Park just up the street, and we'd go pass out food. We'd serve the homeless, and we'd get to know their story. And I talked to Johnny. I wish he was here. I was going to interview him, but he's out of town. So if you see him next week, um, know that we talked, and I'm bragging on him a little bit. But Johnny was a successful, is a successful engineer, project manager. And in his 20s, he was getting the company car and all these accolades, and his level of um, finances was growing. And he got to the place where he could buy a house. It's like La Costa area. And he did a housewarming party, and we all went. And he's like 25. And it's a beautiful house, and he's decked it out insane. He's got like a 65-inch TV. At that time, just think about 12 years ago, do you remember how much a 65-inch TV was? It's not the $200 that you can get at Walmart. It was like four grand. And he's got one over the mantle, and it's all these beautiful colors, and you go to the rooms, and it's just like we're at this housewarming going like, dude, this is awesome. You've done a great job. The next thing we know is that Johnny's moving back home with his mom, and he's not living in his house anymore, and he's gotten rid of all of his possessions. And he was convicted by where his thought life was going and what his money was going to. And what he noticed was that he'd wake up and go to bed going, I need to go buy another throw rug. Just one more pillow for the bed. Just one more chair would be perfect to sit in that. And so I'm on offer up, I'm on Craigslist, I'm at wherever. He'd get off of work and he would just scour the rest of the day trying to fill his house with stuff. And he got convicted by it and he chose to do this. I've never forgotten it. I've talked about him in multiple places before. He decided to live with 100 things. Shirt, one. T-shirt, two. Jeans, three. Shoes, four. Socks, five. Yes, I'm wearing underwear. Six. <laughs> Belt. Seven. Ring. Eight. Glasses. Nine. It adds up pretty quick, right? A hundred things. Not a legalistic thing, but just for him was, I found that my heart's attention and affection is here, and it needs to be here. And the only way I need to do that is an exercise in living simply and living on less. And we chatted for an hour this week, and it was just so fun to laugh and think about and celebrate what God did in that season of his life. Because in that, he learned, I don't remember anything I bought during that time. But what I do remember was when I moved out of my house, I was able to allow a, a lady to move into my home at a reduced rent, and I was able to bless her for that. And I remember selling all my things and people haggling and saying, I'll give you 100 bucks, and he's like, you can have it for 40 and you can take these other three things with it. And they're like, wait, what? Like, oh, oh, okay. And you remember the generosity that he was able to do at this time with, it, with his friends. He was able to be available for people now. And, oh, you like that concert? And he could buy a concert ticket and take his friend out instead of a throw pillow. And he started working with this organization, Philobelly, where he was just serving the homeless every week. And he was doing that with his time and money now. And he'd go to Mexico and he'd build homes and he remembers the faces and the people of the, the homes that he would say, we did this for you, versus the couch that he was obsessing over. The point in sharing that story is 
That's the heart of God. You don't have to go to the extreme to live off 100 things, but it is a nice place to reposition our heart's attention and affection to say, what are we doing with what we have? Make sense? So give Johnny a high five when you see him next week, but amazing story, isn't it? I'm humbled by that. The recognition we're rich, and that's a gift. What do we do with it? We're landing the plane. Three things of remembrance here. The next couple of verses. James is now shifting back to the believer language now. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, how he is patient for the autumn and spring rains. That's the Palestine rain season. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. The first remembrance is this, is to be patient. He says it three times within those two verses, but he's really alluding to, if I just can read for a moment, Psalm 37, which is this beautiful song to Israel. And it's a reminder for the believer this morning. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those doing wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die. Trust the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Commit your ways to the Lord and trust in him and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn and the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways and when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil. For evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Like, do you literally see? It's not like this poetic thing. It's like, you'll get your land, guys. God cares for you that much. He's actually aware of the details. A little while more, and the wicked will be no more. Though you'll look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy great peace. And on and on and on he goes. You can read that later, Psalm 37. Be patient. The Lord's got it. The Lord's aware. If you're struggling this morning in finances, yes, it's really hard to live in San Diego County. Yes, it's really hard to live. And we see dollars stretch, and we're aware of that. And if that's you this morning, would you just say, the Lord is with you. He's mindful of you. And he cares for you. Be patient. As the crop is growing, it may be slow at times, but he's mindful of you. He hasn't forgotten about you. In the process, verse 9, the second call to remembrance. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged, and the judge is standing at the door. For four chapters, he said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. As times are tough and if you've ever been without or wondering how you're going to get that next check or pay that next bill, you understand how the temperature turns up in the house. You understand what it looks like to be like, I don't know how we're going to possibly do this. And in that, I can grumble against brother. I can envy what you have because I don't have. I can speak ill against and be frustrated because I've seen what you do and I don't get to do that. And James is saying, be patient and don't grumble. There's a judge, and he's standing at the door, literally meaning he's coming. So instead, it's kings, kids of the kingdom 
Be gentle with one another. Be kind. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. Tame that tongue. Don't show favoritism. Remember, he's coming. The Lord is in control. Instead of grumbling, we show love and deference to each other. Last, three. Brothers, as an example in patience of suffering, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord. As you know, we considered blessed those who persevered. You heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. It's not a promise of prosperity. Be clear on that. We look at Job and he lost everything. And his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? After all this, just curse him and die. And he said, well, naked I came into this world, naked I'll leave, blessed be the name of the Lord. Whatever comes my way, I bless him. And we see Jeremiah the prophet who does everything the Lord says and not one single person listened to him. And yet he gets a full book and he gets the book of Lamentations as well. Two books describing how a guy was obedient to the Lord and the Lord did nothing. Seemingly. And people are eating their babies and dividing things in the street and it's painful and frustrating and they're in captivity. Talk about long-suffering and perseverance. So it's not a, a, a promise of prosperity. It's a promise of that the Lord is with you. Be patient in that. Consider it all joy, my brothers. Chapter 1. When you face trials of many kinds, knowing that perseverance produces maturity. There's a maturation that happens in waiting on the Lord. There's a maturation that happens in when we love one another instead of grumble against one another. There's a maturation that happens when we learn how to persevere. And so remember, the Lord is full of mercy and compassion. As the band comes back up, the reminder is that I am rich and you are rich this morning. And there's no sin in that. We can recognize whatever levels we're at that we are blessed. And in that blessing, the call this morning, Sikos, is to remember that we are resourced so that we can resource others to whatever capacity that we can. For some of us, that might be opening our home for a meal. For some of us, that might just be that we have extra time that we didn't used to have. For some of us, that means a talent that you see this team up here and back here serving this morning. In others, we have the capacity to give a dollar, $10, $1,000, $10,000. Some of you have the ability to change a person's life with one check. You're resourced to resource others. And because it's all his anyway, we can give freely and live open-handedly. Amen? Second is this. Our model is the Lord. It's not about a percentage of income. We give in reply. New Testament giving is actually harder than Old Testament giving because we give in the way that Jesus gave. And how did he give? King of kings, surrounded by praise, humbles himself, takes on death, becomes a humiliation, takes a penalty that wasn't his but mine and yours, sacrifices. The father gives his son. That's my son. I never give him for you. And he gave. And his son's crying out, Papa, is there another way? Why have you forsaken me? Just, can we do something different? But he gave generously, sacrificially, without complaint, with the eye on the future and the kingdom that awaits. So people of God, 
give in the way that God has given. Your resource to give, you give in the way that he's given. And last, wherever you find yourself this morning, struggling, if you're wondering how to pay the bills, if you're going, yeah, statistically I'm rich, but I just don't know how to get through the next week. Before you go after hoarding, before you go after dishonest gains and means, before you go after self-indulgence, before you go to condemn and go after the right, that you would be patient and wait and trust his sufficiency this morning. Christ is sufficient for every need. It's not a lofty phrase, it's true. He's sufficient and he sees you this morning. He's sufficient and he cares for you this morning. He's sufficient and he wants good for you. So wait and endure and trust that he's near. And as we do, we get to worship him. As we do, we get to watch and wait. I hope the rich in this room this morning, myself included, catch a vision of how we can bless somebody. At your lunch today, add a zero to your tip. As you get your coffee, buy the car behind you some coffee. As you get to know your neighbor, facilitate a need quietly and secretly in love to bless them. We call those happy white envelopes in our house. Maybe you've received those. So church, we're going to respond. We're going to have Gavin come up this morning. I hope this word's encouraging and convicting all at once. And we're going to respond now to the God who's given as we go to the table. Thanks, Tom. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Gavin Leitner, and I'm a small group leader here at Seacoast. And when Dom shared that he was going to uh, be teaching on James chapter 5, I was like, oh, that's a tough one. But, you know, it, it reminds me of what our small group's been studying in Hebrews. We just finished, and in, in chapter 13, it says, Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Hebrews is a book to persecuted Jewish Christians, and it's reminding them that they're not in the Old Covenant anymore. It's teaching them how to live under the New Covenant. And our love of money, it comes from pleasure, a desire for control, a desire for security, all these parts of our sin nature that pull us away from God. It wants us to be independent from God. But how do we be content? and free from the love of money. We remember that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And so as we partake as a church in communion, I just want us to remember that, to be content in that eternal promise that we have in, um, from Jesus Christ, that he willingly went on the cross like this one for our sins, that we don't have control over our eternal destination. We have the promise from God that sent his son to die for it. So as, this, as the band plays this next song, I invite you all to go get the elements, bring them back to your chairs. Then I'll pray for us and we can take them together as a sign of unity and faith and in remembrance of that promise.
So Lord, we, uh, we come together before you as a church in remembrance of your son and in remembrance of his sacrifice for our sins. In Matthew 26, 26, it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. You may now eat the bread. And in verse 27, it says, then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You may now drink the cup. Well, it's been good to be together. The final call to remembrance for us is that there's reunion. that we get to be with him, we get to be in a kingdom that he's preparing and yet invited into the kingdom work along the way. As is in heaven, may it be done in Encinitas this week. As the people of God, may we learn to live out like the called out people of God that we are. Next week, as we come, I want to draw your attention to two ways that you can start processing this message. One is deck the halls, a time of giving your time and two is we're going to respond to loving and supporting circle of hope which is our single moms ministry here we're going to have a chance during this advent season to give financially and respond to these women it's a beautiful thing that we'll hear about and get to hear trickles of stories about but the way that debbie and the team are loving these women is incredible and we get to be partners with that we get to be the smiles on kids' faces at Christmas. We get to be the people that lighten the load for these mothers who have the impossible task of caring and raising for these kids on their own. And so I want you to respond, church, in a way that's sacrificial and generous and mindful of the way that he gave so that you give. Whatever that number is, double it. Whatever you're thinking, I can't because we have to do, go to the Lord with it. Instead of self-indulgent, we become selfless in the way that we give. So that's my challenge for you this week. Keep reading Proverbs, 10 more to go, 21. God give us wisdom. Amen. Wonderful to be with you. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace as you go now. God bless you. We'll see you next week.